and they, but they latch on to birds and birds now are living much longer lifespans and they're flying over mountains they couldn't get over before and migrating and they're bringing back with them ticks that are pretty lethal um, that originated for example in Canada and then survived over the winter in North Carolina. That's Chris Fuentes sharing about the very real rise in insect-borne diseases as a result of global warming. Much more on this subject today on this Ocean Life podcast with me, Josh Peterson. Chris Fuentes knows firsthand about the growing spread of insect-borne diseases associated with global warming. Now, after battling with his own case of Lyme disease, Chris has seen friends and family deal with the spread of ticks in the northeastern part of the U.S. and the associated Lyme disease they carry. And his passion for helping others while bringing a great product to market has led him on his path to develop the next generation of insect repellents, Ranger Ready, that is 100% effective while being 100% safe for people and the environment. Now, the key ingredient, picaridin, is a proven alternative to DEET, the not-so-good-for-you-or-the-environment ingredient in the big green bottle repellents that most of all of us are used to. So whether battling no in the sand or mosquitoes along the coast, picaridin is the right choice for us to defend against insect-borne diseases in this warming world. We hear all about it today from Chris. And after meeting him, Personally, at Surf Expo back in January of 2020, I had the opportunity to spend time talking with him today, where we started with his own experience battling Lyme disease. Well, you know, I actually never knew anything about tick bites until I moved to Connecticut in 1995 with my family and I had young kids. And, you know, we had a, a golden retriever and, and uh, lived in the suburbia of, of Connecticut and Wilton. And then kind of one by one, everybody around us started getting bitten by ticks and we started getting ticks and we saw them on the dogs and then the kids got a couple of tick bites and we realized that ticks were an issue and a factor. And, and by the time we fast forward all the way to uh, my uh, middle son of three sons uh, battling uh, neuropsychiatric Lyme at age 25, um, it's a long, it's been a long journey of trying to figure out how to avoid getting bitten by ticks. And I, I had a, a personal experience, uh, several personal experiences with, with being bitten by ticks, but one uh, ended up in the hospital and uh, it was misdiagnosed as MRSA and they thought it was infectious wow. disease and they were getting ready to operate and actually take a strip of my leg out. And I, you know, I didn't think that was a great idea. And the infectious disease doctor came in and said, Hey, you can go have dinner. Don't worry about getting an operation. You have Lyme disease. And it just was a very severe, very high, high uh, dose of, of Lyme reaction. And, uh, about a month later, I recovered from it. So I'm one of the fortunate people who actually recover from uh, Lyme disease completely, and one in five don't. So about 20% of the folks who get it are Lyme disease or heavier vector-borne diseases like Powassan and other viruses. So, Yeah, and then long-term, and what are the effects of that for folks who never get rid of it? Well, we still don't know. You know, that's part of the whole journey yeah. here is, is that the, every year about 400,000 people are bitten, uh, are affected by Lyme disease and about a half a million by tick-borne diseases in general in the U.S. So a lot of people, and you can imagine 20% of that, so 100, 125,000 people every year um, join that crowd of survivors of, of Lyme disease who still have some type of symptoms. And what we're seeing is um, there is an increase in death rates because, you know, as people live longer mm -hmm. with the disease. You're starting to see what what they finally succumbed to was ultimately an autoimmune system that was, you know, really generated by a tick-borne disease. And then you're seeing much more severe illnesses now that, you know, are, are frankly just debilitating, like something like alpha-gal syndrome, which is one of the 16 
tick-borne disease uh, diseases in the United States. And it's alpha-gal syndrome is um, where a tick bites you and it transfers into your system um, a, a protein, a sugar protein, and it affects you and you can't, you're allergic to red meat for the rest of your life. You can't even smell bacon. So it puts wow. you in kind of a, you know, and, and hunters tend to get that a lot because they're around Lone Star ticks, which is kind of the, the tick that carries it. So there's some very serious long-term effects and, and, and the death rate is rising uh, particularly. And then, you know, part of our journey is also about mosquitoes. And a lot of the folks who live along the water are much more affected by mosquitoes, but also ticks. And, you know, out in California and, you know, up the coast on the West Coast, it's more of a tick, uh, uh, more of a mosquito environment where folks are worried about West Nile disease. And we've learned that mosquito bites, as you know, are just as just as vicious as tick bites. And so we're trying to protect everybody from both of those now. Yeah, that's interesting. And there is, and we'll get into sort of how you guys are doing that. But before we do, I was doing some some looking just online about the spread of both Lyme disease, ticks, and mosquitoes. And t- talk about, and you mentioned this to me again when we, we chatted a while back, which is where you are, which is in the northeast of the U.S. You mentioned Connecticut. It's a hot spot for like the spread of Lyme disease and ticks. So talk about that, where you guys are and, and what's kind of driving that. Well, our neighbors, our friends, our dogs, ourselves, you know, everybody around us has had experience with Lyme disease, all of our families and families' families. And, you know, if you take a map, if you, you know, kind of picture a weather map of the Northeast and put a big purple spot for heavy snow every day on, on uh, Connecticut and particularly going into Massachusetts and, you know, water communities like Nantucket and Block Island and Martha's Vineyard and Cape Cod are all deeply affected because the uh, tick-borne diseases are rampant there. And, and then just this past summer, we had triple E, which was Eastern uh, equine encephalitis, which was very lethal mm. along the coast in the late, in the late fall. So, the, the the whole area from kind of 50 miles out from Lyme, Connecticut, and, and the reason it's named Lyme, Connecticut is because that's where old Lyme is where it was uh, originally came from. And, you know, we have evidence that, that, that it came from birds that carried ticks over from uh, an island off Long Island that was used for um, uh, chemical warfare, biological warfare for the, uh, for the U.S. government. And nobody's kind of worried about that now because ticks have come from everywhere at this point. But it happens to be the hot spot. And even now, well, most importantly, uh, states like Maine, and Maine's a great re- place to retire, and it's a wonderful community and beautiful water and has all the kind of things we want to want to be in. I've often wanted to uh, retire to Maine and be a loon and just live in the water, you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's frankly, um, it's threatening their economy because it is the highest rate of Lyme disease in the United States uh, on a per thousand, per hundred thousand basis, and it, it affects retirees who frankly are outdoors more. And that's part of the issue is I'm, I'm 60 yeah. and, you know, frankly, I'm, I, I'm not ready to retire, but I'm doing more outdoor things. And gardening is a high, yeah. uh, high impact sport now. It's very dangerous mm-hmm. because you can be bitten by ticks very easily. So this particular area and that, and what's happened is the CDC just revealed information that that hotspot that we know kind of as Connecticut is now extended down into Pennsylvania. And the warm spot is now reaching out into Virginia and it's up into Michigan and Wisconsin. It's becoming more prevalent as we speak. There, it looks like it's being tied back, maybe not a hundred percent, but a, a major factor is this warming of air temperature over time. So call it global warming, which is, again, I was just doing some reading, which is, you know, there's, there's fewer colder days and the ticks have more time to move. And so they're making this migration, it sounds like, from north of you guys at like Canada down into these newer areas. And so that spread. So is that kind of 
what the consensus is, is how, why this spread is happening around where you well, guys are? Well, researchers and experts will tell you that ticks and mosquitoes and flies and things like that are leading indicators of global warming or global freezing. You know, they, they will give you that uh, indicator. And, and every indicator is that it is much warmer and continuing to glow warm, grow warmer. For, exen- for ex- example, in Savannah, Georgia, the temperature today on the 20th of February is the same as it would be on the 20th of March in any ordinary year. So we're seeing a rise in temperatures. We're seeing a rise in water, and that's also creating an opportunity. And I think the spread is really driven in in part by the fact that, um, you know, ticks ticks can't fly. Ticks can't jump. They can only crawl a short distance. And if you take a tick in its lifetime, it, it can crawl less than a mile. It's just not a even three years of its lifetime. It can still only crawl less than a mile. And what they have to do is be hosted by a bird. And birds are, are by a warm-blooded animal, which could be anything from a bat to a raccoon to a squirrel to anything that is biteable in their case. And they, they particularly love dogs and humans. And they, but they latch on to birds and birds now are living much longer lifespans and they're flying over mountains they couldn't get over before and migrating. And they're bringing back with them ticks that are pretty lethal um, that originated, for example, in Canada and then survived over the winter in North Carolina. And they get, they get Uh, dropped off in New Jersey on their way home. Ah, that's interesting. It just all is kind of tied together. It's not just the ticks are are walking further. They're still, they're getting picked up. And then when they get deposited in some new area, they're able to exist there because there's more warmth for them. They don't just die off. I saw another thing about mosquitoes. You you mentioned that as well, which is there is, you know, tied to, to air temperature and global warming is these things called, you guys know this disease danger days. I saw that and I was like, well, what's that? And it's basically like number of days during the year when there's a higher likelihood of disease transmission from a mosquito. And because there's this temperature range, it's like 60 degrees to 90 degrees Fahrenheit or something. That's like the optimal temperature for mosquito for the disease transmission to occur. And I'm probably not just describing that correctly, but there's an increase Oh, since 1970 to today of disease danger days. And I just looked where I am in near San Francisco. There's 47 more of these days um, than there was, you know, 40 years ago. And it's very, it's very a consistent pattern elsewhere. And so it's not just ticks that are growing or the, the Lyme disease, but it's the mosquito borne, the airborne illness as well. And so you guys are addressing this, you know, with Ranger Ready with what you're doing. So transition over and talk about sort of your approach to, you know, helping humans, you know, combat against this. Well, as a segue into your conversation, we're evolving every day in, in how and what we're protecting ourselves against. And your your concept of disease days is a good one, you know, and, and you are having 47 more days, but the days are getting more dangerous and they're getting the, the, the types of disease are more dangerous. So for example, this was not in front and center of our research three years ago, but right now we are, leading the call for protection against dengue fever, which is coming up through Florida, which we never anticipated in this. And mosquitoes carry dengue fever. So it evolves very often from what what's presenting itself in terms of disease. And we're learning as we go along. And um, our first piece of this is we, we, we first learned there was a lot of suffering. People were being bitten. There's so many mosquitoes and so many ticks and global warming was going to progress. And we kind of figured that out, which was there's a lot of suffering from disease, but also a lot of annoyance from bug bites and people kind of don't like it. Um, the other yep. piece was people really don't like their experience they've had with bug repellents in their lifetimes. We, we've all grown up with whatever we had. And, you know, we realize that people don't like aerosol cans. We realize that people don't like deep. People don't like putting on their clothing. It ruins their gear. They just had a terrible negative experience with it. And frankly, 
I couldn't think of another category that had such a negative experience. And I've been a brand marketer for 40 years. And um, the third piece was um, we started to find a, a, we wanted to find an alternative. There must be a better, better mousetrap, a better way to do this. And we looked all over the world and we realized that in Europe uh, in the uh, early 90s, um, the Europeans had uh, commissioned through the World Health Organization a new product called Picaridin. And Picaridin was made in Germany by the uh, scientists at Bayer uh, Pharmaceutical. And they were looking for a synthetic alternative to DEET, which had all of the benefits, but none of the side effects. And they had produced this product. And, you know, in typical fashion of a company that's not very good at branding, they called it a number. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really know how to trademark yeah. it. And then it got out in public. And, and it kind of found its way over here in 2005 as Picaridin. And a couple of manufacturers started to build it, but nobody had really actually brought it to market properly. And so we wanted to figure out why it was better. And we realized that it's safe for kids, safe for dogs, safe on horses, safe during pregnancy, doesn't damage your gear. It protects you from mosquitoes and ticks for 12 hours, from gnats, from chiggers, from noceums. And the only negative downside of, of uh, Picaridin, especially at 20%, is that it costs a little bit more. And, and when you do the calculation, it's seven cents an application difference, 18 to 25 cents. And we just realized that folks would, would overcome that. And that's, that's kind of where the concept yeah. of a better bug spray was born. We wanted to actually create a bug, better bug spray that didn't harm the environment. So all of our products had to be recyclable. All of our boxes are minimal waste. So we wanted to have a um, as minimal carbon footprint as we could. We Right now in America... Uh, repellents throw 100 million cans of aerosol in the garbage of repellents every year in landfills. And we just, we don't see that as a good end game for any of us and certainly bad for our environment and all those around us. And, you know, we didn't, people don't really want to put isobutane on their skin. And that's part of what propellants are. And and 10% gets wasted. We said we can make a small bottle and make it effective for 30 full body applications and use half the amount of materials and everything from shipping to et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's very cool. And I, I know, and the big thing about, you know, I guess we call it the traditional insect repellents is like you mentioned DEET and you can still find it today. It's still like a core ingredient. I was just doing a search for DEET and it's everywhere off all those other, you know, your competitors, et cetera. But talk about it a little bit, because I know even when I was, wasn't as informed as maybe I am today, it was like, you know, 25 years ago, I'm going to date myself after college. And I was working in Oregon doing some fish stuff. And we're in the middle of nowhere. There's mosquitoes everywhere. And you're just pouring the stuff on you. And I remember somebody says, hey, if you're going to go fishing, be sure to wash your hands first, because that stuff's going to eat through your fishing line. And I was like, yeah, right. It's like, it's good enough for me to put on my body, but it'll eat through you know, monofilament, I didn't buy it. But then I, over the summer, I was watching my line on this, the rod I was, I was using get thinner and thinner. And I was reading more about it. So talk about DEET. I mean, why it's just not a really good <laughs> compound to put in the environment on ourselves. And you guys are tr- looking to basically replace that with picaridin, which is much more environmentally friendly. Well, uh, Picaridin is a better ingredient friendly, and that's kind of the market we're appealing to, which is a better ingredient than DEET in this case. And there's an opportunity to always make something better. And DEET was developed in the mid-40s during the Second World War. It's just an an awesome bug repellent. And they were in Asia fighting, in in Africa fighting, and and mosquitoes. And they would bite you not only. You'd be dead as well over there because there was pretty treacherous conditions over there. So it's been an effective 
repellent for decades and decades and decades. And what we realize is that um, because it does eat your gear, even the military now, we're, we're working with the military to help um, get them ready to take picaridin into their supply and procurement chain because they realize that, you know, if you're standing there and one of your soldier mates is giving himself a good spray or herself a good spray and they hit your scope, which you had on the back of your piece, mm-hmm. it's a $10,000 scope and it's now gone because it sat on there and it, that scope is finished. And I think part of the lens has to be replaced and things are just their watches when they, you know, they all wear super high tech watches. And if you're standing around spraying it. So one of the things that, that's, that's really different is, is that um, picaridin is a better ingredient because it doesn't do things like that. And the other piece that's very different about picaridin versus deed is deed absorbs at 18%. So 18% of all deed goes into your system. So it's a very high absorption rate. And one of the better engineering pieces that the, um, folks in Europe developed for World Health Organization was, but keratin only absorbs at 6%. And that's why 30% is roughly equal to picaridin 20%. And that's that's a big gain when you think about it, because if you need to protect yourself for 24 hours, you can wear picaridin twice, 12-hour protection, take a shower and wear it again. Except with DEET, you have to do that three times at least. And that's a downside. And if you have to wear DEET every day, yeah. we've seen long-term effects of DEET, and it's very hard to separate the effect of DEET and long-term use of DEET and neurological damages. So there's not a lot of evidence there. But if you look back in organizations where their healthcare is funded by the government across the world, that's very typical. And you'll find that they found that pregnant women were affected by it. People who had long-term exposure to DEET Mm -hmm. shouldn't be using it. Pregnancy, is there's a clear warning during pregnancy not to use DEET. So we're trying to help people overcome their kind of, I don't want to use this stuff. We, we have a funny thing. We call it the deet dance, which is I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spray a little bit of deet on myself, on my skin, and then I'm going to run around and then I'm going to act like I'm protected. And of course you get bitten. When we come back, Chris takes us into the world of Picaridin, the human and environmentally friendly alternative to deet. Stay with us. Whether on a tropical surf trip or paddling the backwaters of your temperate climates, we're constantly exposed to biting insects that can pose a threat to our health. With the proven and healthy ingredient of picaridin that we're hearing about today, Ranger Ready products are awesome non-toxic alternatives to big green can repellents that we're all used to. With or without scent, Ranger Ready comes in a variety of applications to best protect us from pump spray to lotion. Check them out at rangerready.com and enter the coupon code OCEAN10, the capital O, to get 10% off your order. Now, let's get back on to Chris. When you mentioned picaridin, you know, as an alternative to D, you know, it is recommended by the CDC and EPA. It's not some fringe, you know, uh, chemical that's been brought here from Europe. It's like, you know, it's, 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 it's recognized. Um, and now I, I was doing a little reading. I'd love to hear more from you. Uh, read that it's kind of modeled after a molecule found in pepper plants. So like, what is kind of the basis that you know of what picaridin is and where it comes from? Well, we learned a lot about it because we're becoming one of the leading players in picaridin. So what uh, picaridin is a synthetic compound uh, that's derived from piperine. And piperine is, is designed mm-hmm. to mimic the natural effects of pepper. And if you think of it, uh, think of, of, of uh, ticks and mosquitoes having little receptors, like little antlers sticking out. And those antlers, uh, when they encounter um, a keratin, it's like pepper spray. They just back away. 
it doesn't kill them. It just keeps them away. And they, and they will, they will, they'll keep trying again, but they won't come back because they realize that there's nothing there for them. And it just, it blocks their receptors. And we're learning actually, there's a new research that I'm very, we're fascinated with it. That's uh, the first time that they recognize that actually mosquitoes may be responding to temperature change and not actually the temperature itself. It's the shift in temperature, not the temperature of a body. So we're still learning every day. So are you saying then that picaridin does something to alter the temperature of the body so that that, can, that may deflect the mosquito? No, what it does them? is it's just like the pepper spray. It just pushes them back. But we're learning why they come to the body and why bodies are more attractive uh, or not and why certain people are bitten or not. And, I you. you know, I, I was thinking getting ready for this interview this morning. And as I was um, getting ready, I thought, you know, how many people I've spoken to over the last three years as we developed this product? We do some 50 shows a year. So we've been out on the road talking to folks and. Um, you know, I did my own kitchen research, which is I'm, I happen to be a negative blood type. It's just uh, and, and a negative blood type from my experience has been a, a very tasty uh, meal for ticks and, and mosquitoes. And I found all my fellow brethren who are and I asked them, I, people walk up to me all the time and go, oh, I'm a magnet for ticks and mosquitoes. And I would say four out of five or a type a uh, blood type. So I'm not huh. sure it's science, but I'm pretty darn close that a a blood type might have something to do with it. Maybe someday we'll fund some research for that. But Yeah, that's cool. There's something there. Yeah. So then you mentioned it for a moment there. Like there was a time when you you battled this Lyme disease yourself up front with your family, with you, yourself personally. At some point, when did you go, I want to address this problem. I want a better insect repellent out there. When did you, and who did you connect with? How did you form a company to do that? Cause you said you've been a brand marketer. You may not have any experience in like, this is ultimately a chemical type of, you know, um, industry you're in. So how did you get to that point? Talk, tell that story for us. Well, I, I trained, you know, under very good organizations for 25 plus years and really learned um, how to be a good brand marketer at places like VF Corporation. I was a senior marketer at, at Nautica for four years and uh, was able to work on big brands. I worked actually for eight years on women's lingerie and learned how to market a product I never wore every day. So you, you really yeah. learn how to be a good brand marketer. And, and I, I was well-trained in those years. And then I, as I wanted to leave the corporate world and pursue things on my own, I wanted to come up with an innovative product for better living. I wanted to do something different than sell a shirt or something different than worry about whether a, a fragrance or cologne sold or a watch sold or example. And uh, I connected with my partner, Ted Keston, um, three, almost four years ago, we connected together. We formed this company three years ago and we invested in another company that didn't do very well. So, you know, sometimes they don't work. And, and along the way, uh, he and I uh, started to pursue a journey of, um, this concept of not renting anymore, which is me working for a corporation or them working on behalf. We don't want to rent. We want to own. We want to be owners of our own intellectual mm -hmm. property. So we started to pursue intellectual property of a better something, a better a better mousetrap. And so we started to look at categories. And uh, my partner Ted's business is around scent and, and around uh, moving fragrance in the air, et cetera. And so um, we started to pursue actually citronella candles. We wanted to come up with a better citronella candle. And we went out and found an interesting supply chain. And we, we kind of started to go down the path. And, and we realized that it killed bees. So we thought, man, that's mm. probably not that great. And we were kind of preparing for a failure anyway, frankly. We, I mean, we can't really expect that anything's going to work. And as we did that, we realized this whole concept of DEET and picaridin and people don't work and things don't work out, et cetera. So we said, this is an interesting opportunity. And 
Uh, you're right. We knew absolutely zero about insect repellent. My partner, Ted, did know a little bit about the market. He'd been wanting to launch a better product, a better bug spray for decades. And he knew enough about the market mm-hmm. to know that what we needed to kind of do and that, what the process was. And, you know, we ha- we've had uh, so many generous and fortuitous things happen for our company. And right at the beginning of our company, we needed to find out how you buy picaridin and how you get picaridin and how you register. And, you know, we didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And good old LinkedIn, we found, <laughs> we chased down this lady, Pam, who worked for this guy, Hans. And, you know, he, Hans is the head of uh, uh, business development for the United States for the company that sells picaridin. And they are a German company from Leverkusen. And um, my background, I grew up in Germany. So uh, I, I lived there many years and was a tennis player there. And uh, it turns out that Hans, who's about my age, he, he, I connected. He said, I know you. You're, you're Chris no Fuentes. Way. You played your team, played against my team in Germany. I know you. And hence began a wonderful relationship with the folks who, from Germany who have been helping us develop. And uh, just in this office here last, uh, about a month ago, the folks from Germany were here and, um, I, you know, we ordered the first uh, order of Picaridin three years ago was uh, four little barrels, 55 gallon drums. And he, uh, the gentleman, I wrote down the number on an envelope and he said, there must be a big mistake. This is counting double. And I said, I said no, 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 it is double. So it's been a good, it's a good product. And that's one of the reasons why it's been successful is we knew that it worked. It's been the number one active ingredient in Europe since 1999 and it it's really a good product and we knew that it had been successful people often ask me how do you know it works i go it's been working for 30 years around the world and this is the only country it's not actively growing as quickly yeah yeah and there must be i'm guessing a lot of value that you find from the business you've built every day because it's something that you might have benefited from personally years back, right? This is something that you're helping others and hoping preventing others from having the issue you had with bike from contracting Lyme disease, right? So there's that passion that it probably just keeps you fired up every day to get up and just hammer it and really grow this thing. You know, it does, Josh. And, you know, we, we have an alliance with the Global Lyme Alliance. The, they're the biggest 5013C nonprofit around Lyme disease and this is our second year partnership with them. They're based in Stanford because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the center of Lyme disease, frankly. And, you know, they've, they've shifted their, their thinking over the last couple of, uh, I think last year, which is it's, it is an, it's an epidemic now. It's a national health crisis that, that we have so many people being yeah. bitten by ticks and other vector borne diseases, frankly, as well. And one of the things they want to do is help uh, people better identify it and work to identify the disease more quickly get treatment more quickly, get appropriate treatment. We talk about Lyme literate doctors. We, we really want folks in the medical community to experience and understand how to get a handle on this treatment. You know, we write 600,000 doxycycline um, scripts every year just for Lyme disease. It's a big number. Jeez. And, you know, we want to reduce all of that, all of that. And then the third component of that is, and we're part of that is to help prevent more bites. So, you know, be bite free in 2020 is really an obligation we're trying to help everybody understand is which there's a smart alternative mm-hmm. to being bitten, which is wear repellents. And, and then you have to change your behavior as well. And that's one of the things we're trying to help educate. We're doing right now 
great research with pharmacists and pharmacist moms, one of our organizations that we partner with, and we're releasing research about what we call repellent IQ among pharmacists and helping them understand. Oh, and, yeah. You know, one of the first things we want folks to understand is if you have a dog, and many of us do, and we love our dogs, uh, if you let the dog in the bed or you let the dog in the backseat of the car and you let the dog run around outside or even have the opportunity to, to have exposures to tick, they're going to get on the dog and then they're going to jump off the dog onto you and your kids. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure that, you know, it's a, it's a safe environment at home, you know. And I think it's important that people start to get in the habit of saying, well, how do I protect myself? And many people come up to me and say, hey, um, I've been, uh, I've had Lyme disease three times and I go, well, do you have a dog? And they go, yeah. And they, I go, do you let the dog in the bed? They go, yeah. And in the car and other places on the couch and, you know, Fido Mm -hmm. sleeps with me. And I go, well, you have two choices. The dog goes out of the bedroom. Oh, we can't do that. Or I say, where range you ready to bed? They smile, but you know, it's kind of the the way you you really are exposing yourself. And the other thing we're trying to help people understand is you can't have bird feeders anymore. You know, bird feeders are, you know, really, it's unnatural to feed birds anyway. And, you know, we have 5 billion birds now migrating up and down the East Coast every year. It's a big number. And they're they're carrying tens of millions of ticks. And when you put a bird feeder out in the back and you attract squirrels and you attract birds and you attract all kinds of other critters out there who want to, they're all warm-blooded and ticks and mosquitoes, they love them. And that's part of our journey is helping people, you know, how do you protect yourself more just from not just wearing repellents, but better behavior around tick checking. You know, if your son or daughter's been outside, tick check them. And as they become teenagers and they don't want to be tick checked by mommy and daddy, you know, they self tick check, then, you know, teach them how to do it themselves because you really need to be aware. Um, and even mosquito bites right now, if you're bitten by an infected mosquito with West Nile disease, and, you know, we had 2,400, 2,400 cases of West Nile disease in 2018 yeah. and 124 deaths, it's, yeah. it's a steep number. Yeah. So a big part of what you guys are doing is that educational aspect, which is so key because I just kind of, as you're saying all this, I'm thinking about myself who grew up in a mountain area. I'm on the coast, but I spend a lot of time with my dog. I hike, I mountain bike a bunch, you know, and I'm on, you know, the water a bunch, but it's almost like until it hits you, like, you know, if I got Lyme disease, then I would probably learn all this after the fact, after it's too late. And what you guys are trying to do is be more preemptive and help us that just the, the community at large understand what could happen. And Hey, these things that you might be doing may be not, might not be the best, which is feeding birds. Don't let the dog in or whatever that might be. And so that's a key part. You know, I think that's cool. You guys are also putting your energy and focus there in addition to creating and selling a great well, product. Our goal, if we had one is to decrease this big alarming and, and change the habits. And, you know, I think, it's amazing. We've been able to stop smoking. We've been able to start using seatbelts. We've been able to start using sunscreen effectively. And I think as a surfer in our surf community, and I'm around the water all the time and, you know, proper sun protection has just become part of our lingo, if you will. And our goal is to become the brand that kind of leads that next step up, which is frankly, are you ranger ready, which is synonymous with, you know, are you covered in repellent and are you careful and we're launching a new product in May, uh, just waiting EPA approval for a product that you spray on your clothing or you soak your clothing in that gives you 30-day protection from ticks and mosquitoes and five washes. Uh, it uses permethrin, 0.5%, and it's 
you know, it just allows a double layer, which the CDC recommends. They highly recommend wearing a, a properly registered repellent properly and then permethrin clothing because it will give you a double layer of protection. Oh, I love that. So talk a little bit more about your products. It's one of the things, you know, I spent some time with you and then Katie from your team at, at Surf Expo and saw these firsthand. I, you, you guys sent me a bunch. I've been using it. My wife's been spraying it on the dog when she takes the dog up to go hiking and stuff. Um, but one thing that struck me is, uh, you know, my before talking to you, my, my con- conception, perception of insect repellent was the big green can that said off that smelled like a freaking chemical factory, you know, but you guys are totally different. You have pumps, you have the spray pump, you have things that don't have any scent. You have, you have uh, products that have a nice scent. So talk about that sort of your, your product lineup. Well, our goal was to make a better bug spray experience and really, you know, make the experience of what you described is exactly what others described over and over. And we said, gosh, we can do better than that. And the first B was what's the delivery vehicle. And, you know, we're um, the, the, the can, the butane, isobutane you had to put on your skin and then throwing it in the garbage, et cetera, in the landfill just didn't make us feel right. And so the first piece we want to do is we developed a 360-degree uh, pump. So our pump goes 360 degrees without spraying you with aerosol. So that was the first one to overcome that we got. It was a small investment, but a good one. And then we wanted to make sure that um, scent is a deterrent. It's, we've always known that. I mean, it's just one of the big, most important things that attracts people to product. That's why there's a fragrance industry. That's why there's a makeup industry, et cetera, shampoo, et cetera. And so we wanted to make a premium scent experience. And our exp- our experience with scent was so so um, kind of industry leading that we were able to kind of create these scents that people really loved. And I have to mm-hmm. say all four of our scents have been amazing uh, and that all four are selling really well. And we've had an un- unexpected winter in night sky, which is basically a men's cologne. And it has such a wide spectrum of people who love it. Um, everybody from the military soldiers who use it and park rangers to my mom who said, it smells pretty good there, buddy. Yeah. So, um, and I think the other piece was we wanted to make sure that our product and all of our co-ingredients in the product, not just the picaridin, which was, they were all premium. So when you put it on your skin, it goes on nicely. It carries nicely on your skin. You don't feel like you've been loaded with bug spray. It's, it's affecting your skin. And, yeah. and, and that was really our goal was we want you to apply it properly and more. And um, as we launched our new product this year, um, the XL, which is, uh, I have, I have an ab one here and it's, which is, uh, 230 full body applications, which is our big, you know, XL bottle because wow. people came back to us and said, we need bigger bottles. And we just had a lady yeah. from Florida call yesterday. She said, the mosquitoes are, do you have even bigger bottles? And I said, well, hold on, try that one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. Gallon sized. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like your timing with your product is right. Uh, and I say that because as a father and you know, family and so many others where we are all so much more health conscious about what we're putting on our bodies and what, what the elements of those things are, whether it's a sunscreen, shampoos, lotions, et cetera. You know, I have a friend here who has a sunscreen company. It's the same thing. It's like 15, 20 years ago it was a much harder sell. It was more of a niche market for things that might cost a touch more because the ingredients are much more healthy. But now that's totally changed. And so it feels like your guys' timing with this product, Ranger Ready, just seems to make sense. I mean, are you seeing that as well? 
Well, we are. And, and what we're seeing is that there's a, there's a shift and decline from DEET and people just don't want to use it. So we, we didn't have to kind of push hard to do that. That happened on its own. And there's an increase of use for Picaridin. The use of Picaridin has doubled each year for the last three years. So we are catching a really nice wave of that better ingredient market. But one of the things, Josh, that's worth mentioning, and I think for all the moms and all the folks out there and everybody, in fact, who enjoys the natural uh, kind of the whole foods generation, if you will. And, you know, people who say, let's, yeah. let's lean towards natural. And, and I too eat organic and the things that make, make a difference in my life. And I certainly would um, want to protect myself properly. And what we've learned with research, and this is agreement among all the experts, the CDC, the national health organizations, the tick-borne working committee, which is natural repellents like cedars and geranium oils and, you know, lavenders and patchouli oils and, all the other things that we kind of conjure up that make our sons and selves and daughters smell good. Mm-hmm. They don't really work. Um, they do work for a short period against mosquitoes. You smell pretty good at a backyard barbecue for 60 minutes until you smell like barbecue, but um, yeah. they don't deter ticks at all. And they don't deter, they, they climb right over it. In fact, they don't mind. And I think what we wanted to do was we wanted to honestly serve our consumers with a better solution, which is if you wear Ranger Ready Picaridin 20%, you're actually not going to get bitten by ticks and mosquitoes. And that's kind of our our proposition to people who join and have become our fans and repeat with us is they, they go, I came back from my trip from Costa Rica. We had a lady come back from Africa just to, to post a YouTube video. And she, she goes, I love Ranger Ready. I didn't get a single mosquito bite. It's the first time I've ever gone wow. home without getting bitten by ticks and mosquitoes. And that's just unsolicited. Uh, thank yous. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. So you yourself, I mean, you're out and about, you're active, you know, I mean, what are you wearing? What's your favorite scent or favorite product of yours that you, that you use regularly? Well, I use, I actually use them all and I test them all. And, and one of the things I do is, um, I, Olive, um, our dog, who is our little company, Ranger Redder dog. She, uh, she likes Ranger Ready uh, night sky. So she, she, we figured it out um, but i do put it on every day and i you know one of the things i do is i put it on in the bathroom it's just easier because i have it and i'm out a lot every day and i do especially in the summer when i'm doing work in the morning i'll go out and i'll be out on the um doing either television work or promoting the brand etc early in the morning and i was just down in in dominican republic and um did a little broadcast um, we were, i was testing our new product and our new clothing, et cetera. And the gnats were just, no CMs were just biting me like crazy early in the morning. So I just put it on before I leave the room even and put on a pair of shorts. So that's yeah. my habit. Yeah, that's interesting. So you guys are also, as you mentioned, Dominican Republic. I mean, you're, you started here in the U.S., but I mean, there's the market is, I mean, it's global basically. And so are there other areas of the world that are you're seeing interest, like peaking interest in what you're doing? Well, there is. And it's actually funny because the first international interest we have is actually here at home. And we have so much work that we do with uh, great organizations like Passport Travel, which is the largest provider of travel medicine. Um, and they have more than 250 locations in the United States. And Ranger Ready is one of their exclusive suppliers for product. And so our first oh, goal is to get people who are leaving the United States who are susceptible to bites and want to, you know, want to travel and want to travel safely or want to come to the Northeast, for example. You know, if you're from Arizona, you may not be familiar that in, you should wear repellent in Boston or on Cape Cod, et cetera. And then as we grow um, our brand, we want to make sure that we grow with the right uh, groups of people. So pharmacists are places where you can buy our products. So we're growing in those same ways as we grow internationally. Um, Canada is our next stop. Um, my, uh, my mom's Canadian. I'm a Canadian citizen as well as a U.S. citizen. So 
we're headed up to Canada. Uh, we're expecting to open up a, a small little operation in, in uh, outside Toronto and begin shipping into Canada in 2021. It's a separate organization. Health Canada is a separate. You have to go and be legally recognized by each uh, authority, and um, we're happy to do so. It just takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Awesome, Chris. Well, I love the story, man. And uh, it, it's, it was neat talking to you just as strangers for a couple of minutes. And now here we are hearing more about it. Uh, but I love what you guys are doing and I appreciate you sharing with us. And I appreciate you putting your focus into something that does good for the world. I mean, there's nothing we all need to do some of that as, as much as we can. Here you guys are growing a business uh, in a way that's sustainable, but also good for us people and the environment, man. So thank you for that. I well, I tell you, we're cool. having so much fun. We're just a group of 11 people. We just added our 12th employee and just have a small cool. group of investors. And it's just been such a great ride. And people like yourself, Josh, thank you for just, you know, sometimes when you talk to somebody, you never know what's going to happen. And we've had so many great encounters like that. Yeah. So thank you for the work you do as great. well. We really appreciate it. And- Absolutely, Chris. Well, thanks for your time today, man. Really appreciate it. And good luck to you, the team. Uh, Ranger Ready. I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes for folks listening. Go check it out. And uh, we'll I can't leave without a plug. You got to go to RangerReady.com or catch us on Amazon. Uh, you can go to our Ranger Ready store on Amazon as well. Thanks, Josh. Awesome. Bye. Thanks so much, Chris. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.